0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on March 27, 2022, during our Sunday evening service. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, And let's get to it.
1: Turn with me to Revelation seventeen. Revelation seventeen. I like detective stories, and I like comedy so you know I like the Pink Panther, right? Inspector Clouseau, the bumbling inspector who somehow manages to solve the cases despite his complete ineptitude. Uh, I, I love watching those old Pink Panther movies. I, I saw the the remake, the first one I thought was pretty funny. I don't really remember the second one. And I say that having not seen them in a while. So if there's something in there, I'm not telling you to watch those. I'm not I'm not advocating for those movies. But I just remember uh I've had a lot of laughs watching Inspector Clouseau try to solve the case, try to prove his competence, and yet despite his limitations, which are many he somehow does manage to come, aclo- come across the right clues at the right time and to save the day, much to the chagrin of the chief of police. When we come to prophecy, sometimes we come like Inspector Clouseau. And we, by God's grace, can get some clues right as we begin to put things together, but we must not come to God's Word thinking that we are Sherlock Holmes or Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple or Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys or whoever your favorite inspectors are. We don't come to God's Word as the experts. We come to God's Word uh, seeking and completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to lead us in the right direction and to show us the truths that we are so desperately searching for. And tonight we're going to look at some prophecies concerning the prince to come. I'm going to give you my understanding, as limited as it is, I and I say this as a warning, I may be up here as Inspector Clouseau. What I say what I think is not what matters. What God's word says matters. And so as we press into some of these prophecies about the coming Antichrist, what is important is not my interpretation of the prophecies, but it is the prophecies themselves. It is the promises themselves. And so you may have a different understanding. There may be some things that you see a little bit differently. That's okay. So long as we understand that God's word is the authority God's word is infallible we are fallible but God's word is not and so I want to take you back to Revelation chapter 17 as we begin tonight and looking at some prophecies to ponder concerning the prince who is to come we're gonna just Uh, stop briefly back in the book of Daniel uh, once or twice as time permits tonight. Uh, We are uh, elaborating on what we studied last week. This prince who is going to come that uh, is going to come. Daniel 9 prophesies with divine detail the very day in history when Jesus Christ, the Messiah Prince, would present himself as king and deliverer to the nation of Israel. Gabriel reveals the message to Daniel. When the decree goes out to rebuild the temple and the sanctuary, know that there is this number of years until Messiah the Prince comes. But he won't be accepted by the people, Daniel. He will be cut off, not because he's a sinner. He won't be cut off for anything that he's done. He will be cut off as a sacrifice for the people. And as evidence that, yes, he did arrive on the day I said he would arrive. And yes, he did die in the way I said he would die. God tells Gabriel to give Daniel this message. I'm going to level the temple. And I'm going to use a people to do it, a, a wicked people to do it. But it's out of this people that will rise the prince who is to come. And it's the prince who is to come that we're going to begin to focus on here tonight. Now look again, Revelation 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit Into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication and upon her forehead was a name written mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Let's stop there for a moment. Last summer, we talked about prophecies in general, and one of the types of prophecies that we focused on are shrouded prophecies. These are prophecies that in the Old Testament are called riddles, in the New Testament are referred to as they are here as mysteries. I want to remind you what we saw last year, the Hebrew word for Riddle it also means an enigmatic, perplexing saying or question. We see it in uh, Numbers twelve eight, Psalm 49, four seventy eight, 78, uh, Proverbs 1, 5 through 7, Ezekiel 17, 2. We see it in a number of different places where some of the sayings of God, the Bible itself says that there are some dark sayings, that there are some riddles that God has put in his word that will not be able to be understood without something being given to us some extra information to be able to interpret those clues. They're clues. They're clues that God has given to his people, but they are still shrouded in mystery. We also saw that the Greek word musterion means uh, a mystery, a secret. And here's the important part. I know that's hard to read, so let me read it to you. Of which initiation is necessary. That is to say that it is a clue. And until there is something that initiates you into the understanding, until there is something that comes along, the, the, the code breaker, so to speak, the, uh, the, the key to interpret the code, you can't really understand it. There, there are clues in the New Testament that are given to us as in the Old Testament. But until the initiation happens, you cannot understand the meaning of those clues or the meaning of those mysteries. Here's how Helps Word Study defines it. In in the Bible, a mystery is not something unknowable. Rather, it is what can only be known through revelation, i.e. because God reveals it. So in the Old Testament, there are many clues, many hints, many riddles about the kingdom of God. Jesus comes along and he tells his disciples, guys, I am going to reveal to you the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I'm going to make things clear to you that were not clear in the Old Testament. They had the clues, but they didn't have the complete understanding. Well, there are still mysteries that have that have not yet been revealed to us. Keep your finger in chapter 17. And turn back with me to Revelation 17. Chapter 10, if I can find this verse. Lost my reference here. Chapter 10, verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Are are you getting that picture in your head? I, I think sometimes we read these descriptions and we just fly right by them they're, they're there for a reason God wants us to get the picture God wants us to have a visceral reaction to what is happening here and he had in his hand a little book open and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth you've been to the zoo maybe you've been to the jungle and you heard a lion roar I, that would be pretty scary I've never never been to the jungle and heard a, a lion roar but I have been in a zoo and heard a lion roar that's it's pretty pretty terrifying even when you're uh, when you Feel safe in the zoo. And the lion roared, and when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and he sware by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven. And the things that therein are, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he declared it to his servants, the prophets. God says there are mysteries that are not going to be completely understood until the, about the midpoint or somewhere in there in the middle of the tribulation. And when this angel sounds, all of the mysteries will then be finished. But there are still mysteries. There still is the mystery of Babylon the Great. We have clues. We can have uh, a a lot of information. We can put a lot of the puzzle pieces together. But we don't have the whole picture. We don't have all the puzzle pieces yet. The same is true of the mystery of lawlessness, which concerns the beast that this woman is sitting on. Paul says, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the mystery of lawlessness is, is at work, but it's still a mystery. It's going to remain a mystery, and so I am giving you some of the clues tonight, but I am uh, not able to give you definitively, dogmatically, uh, all of the picture because I don't have all the pieces and none of us do. So some of the prophetic mysteries have been decoded, as we've said, by Christ and the apostles, but some have not been completely revealed and will not until, as Revelation 10, 7 says, the seven thunders have roared. And it's then that we'll know exactly, everyone on earth will know what the mystery of lawlessness is. Everyone will be able to understand the mystery of Babylon the Great. All we can do right now is look at the clues. Now, looking at those clues, back in Revelation chapter 17, uh, again, to by way of reminder, some of the things that we saw a few weeks ago. The angel said unto me, verse 7, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carried her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. We are going to be able to be dogmatic about some things. You can be dogmatic about things that God's word has been dogmatic about. And so what happens next, we can be dogmatic about because the angel has revealed these aspects of the mystery to John and through John, the Holy Spirit has revealed them to us. Verse 8 says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. You guys, you're going to need to apply your hearts to wisdom to understand this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. This is the seat of power. This is the location. But notice, there are also seven kings. Verse 10, five are fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not do you think the angel wants us to get this do you think maybe the, the angel realizes we're not going to believe this the first time we hear it we're going to think oh that can't that can't be literal and the second time we hear it we think, that can't be literal so he gives it to us a third time the beast was and is not even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, interprets a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had about this image, and this image with ten toes. And God uh, reveals to him and to us through Daniel the prophet that those ten toes are ten kings. And here we see again the 10 kings which will come at the time of the antichrist the time of the beast the beast though we are told was and is not and yet will be now i gave you several weeks ago i gave you seven possible candidates from the bible that i think are all good candidates some stronger than others as to who this one who was not who was excuse me and is not but will come again Revelation is very clear, the Antichrist was, he was here, and he is not here any longer, but he will be coming back, and he's one of these seven. We know, by the way, who the emperor was at the time that, who the king was at the time that John wrote this, it was the king who exiled John, Domitian, who was the first emperor who demanded to be worshipped as God, the first of the Caesars to demand that worship me as a living God the spirit of antichrist to declare himself as God to demand the worship of a God but who are the five who are the five and most importantly for our consideration tonight who is the one that will return of those five Now, I gave you seven. Let me just remind you the seven names that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. For some of you, this is review, but this isn't stuff that we cover in Sunday school usually (laughs) a lot of times. And so I know that this, for some of you, this is very, very new. And so we want to kind of refresh your memory a little bit as we go over this. Uh, We suggested Antiochus Epiphanes as one of the names. Why? Because he is repeatedly mentioned in prophecies concerning the Antichrist in the book of Daniel. He was the one who set up the first abomination of desolation in the temple. It will not be the last. Herod the Great is another possibility. He will rebuild. Uh, he rebuilt the temple just as the Antichrist will rebuild the temple. Uh, but oppress faithful Jews. Someone asked me yesterday uh, at uh, the men's conference. I had a great time uh, with uh, Andy and the guys at New Life Bible Camp yesterday uh, for the men's conference. I hope that you guys will uh, consider going next year uh, we'll we'll be able to take a larger group uh, uh, Keith Rice and his son were there but uh, and and I was there for Saturday i'd love, love for uh, more of us guys to be able to to get to go next next year for the men's retreat. But one of the guys there that I was talking to that I've known for a while asked me uh, about the temple He said, well, how can you know if if the rapture can happen at any moment then there's no temple there yet, so how can the Antichrist set up the abomination of desolation? Well, remember, we saw this last week. Or the week before. We saw this recently. It is not the rapture that will begin the seventh week of the 70th week of Daniel. It's not the rapture that will begin the, the last seven years of, of God's judgment on Israel. It is the signing of the covenant. The Antichrist has to rise and be in power and have time to get in power to be able to confirm the covenant. And so there will be a period of time. We don't know whether it will be days, weeks, months, or years between the rapture of the church and the time when the Antichrist, when the uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we've talked about uh, before, as the restrainer steps out of the way and removes his restraining force on the mystery of lawlessness, that, that then the mystery is able to come forth and the antichrist is able to take power and as he gains power as one of the 10 kings he's he will be the little horn he will be the one that seems the weakest initially but he will gain power and when he makes that covenant when he confirms the covenant with israel for seven years that will be when the hourglass gets turned over and the final seven years begin to drop that's what there will be there will be time There will be enough time for the temple to be rebuilt, maybe soon, the way things are going in the world today. Herod the Great, Nebuchadnezzar we talked about, Nero, Nimrod, Pharaoh, and another possibility, Titus. Now, we named those names, and I told you several weeks ago that I was going to give you my personal position on which of these possible names again can't be dogmatic about this but I'm going to show you we're going to go some we're going to go clue hunting all right we're going to try not to be clue so as we go clue hunting but we are going to go clue hunting through the prophecies tonight and we're going to look at some prophecies about the prince that shall come and ponder some clues so I have a couple questions I'm going to ask now the first question that I'm not going to ask well I'm going to ask it but I'm, I'm going to quickly answer it. we're not going to consider it tonight some people say, what about, the, what about the number of the beast, 666? Isn't that a way that we can know who the Antichrist is? Well, there's a couple problems with that. We don't know what name the Antichrist will take. Just because someone had a name doesn't mean it's their current name or that they couldn't choose another name. Secondly, you'll notice a few names on that list, specifically Nimrod and Pharaoh. Those are titles. Those aren't names. We don't know what Nimrod's name is, maybe. We don't know what Pharaoh's name is, maybe. So we have to be very careful that we don't start to just try to plug names into a, 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 a calculator and try to come up with 666 and say, this is the, this is the Antichrist. So we're not going to play the number game with names because for all we know, the Antichrist will take on a new name. When or it could be one of these who, who bears a title so let me ask a couple of questions tonight to see if we can begin to apply uh, exercise our little gray cells and apply some uh, wisdom some hopefully ordained God ordained wisdom uh, to this question here's the first question I want to ask you revelation 17 says that the beast was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit so the question is how will the beast rise again how is that possible. How is that possible? I had a pastor who I greatly, dearly respect say, well, I just don't believe God would raise raise the Antichrist from the dead. I just don't believe God would do that. Well, if that's what the text says, maybe you need to readjust what you think God would or wouldn't do based on what the Bible says. There's a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand, but that doesn't mean they're not true. So how will the Antichrist rise again? There's a couple... Things to consider here number one what is the cause of death isaiah 28 by the way says that israel when when israel signs that seven-year covenant isaiah the prophet says israel will make a covenant with death capital d death It, it is not always translated that way but in the hebrew it is a proper name israel will make a covenant with death what is it about the antichrist that isaiah said he is death personified He is death persona, but a lot of times we think of the four horsemen, and and usually when we teach through the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we see the first horseman as the Antichrist. What if the fourth horseman is the Antichrist? Just just a question. What if death is actually the Antichrist? Just a question. uh, We'll consider later. But what is the cause of death? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. This is the other passage where we are told that the Antichrist is dead, and will rise again. Revelation 13, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet Whereas the feet of a bear and his mouth is the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now you remember when we saw Daniel's dream of those beasts and those animals. Notice this is a, an amalgamation. This beast is an amalgamation of all those beasts. Because the kingdom of Antichrist is going to absorb all those other, anti, all those other anti, Antichrist systems into his kingdom. We saw the same thing in Daniel chapter 2 when we looked at the image of, of, uh, of the final kingdoms of the world. And we saw the head of gold and, and we saw the silver and we saw the bronze and we saw the iron and we saw the iron mixed with miry clay. And God says through Daniel the prophet that it is at the end. It's only at the second coming when all of those kingdoms are destroyed together. Because what has happened is those kingdoms have absorbed one another. They have grown from one another. And the culture and religion and the belief systems of those former kingdoms, although they are no longer in power, they still remain with us today. We are still today influenced by Babylonian paganism. We're still influenced by Medo-Persian multiculturalism. We're still influenced by Greek culture very much in the West. And we are still influenced by Roman law and by Roman customs even today. So this beast is going to be an amalgamation. Look at verse three. And I saw one of the heads as it were a wounded to death. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. That is not strong enough in the English as it is in the Greek. And I always encourage you, don't take my word for that. You can go to uh, an interlinear Bible. The one I use is is BibleHub.com. Very easy to use, very easy to find. BibleHub.com. You can click on the little interlinear button. It'll show you the It'll show you the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. It'll show you the English right along with it. You can click on the Strong's words and you can see what the words are, what they mean, where else they're used in the Bible. Very easy to use. Uh, I, am, I am not a Greek or Hebrew expert. I'm not even a novice in Greek or Hebrew, but I know how to use that software and, it, and it's very helpful. You'll see that the text says it's not that he appears to be dead. It's not that he looks like he was dead. It's not that he was mortally wounded. He is mortally dead. He is dead. And yet what will happen, verse 3? His deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon which gave his power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? There is uh, an indication. Uh, so many people think Zechariah 11.17 is a reference to the Antichrist. And it says that the Antichrist will have uh, one good eye and he will have one good arm. By the way when you see one eye symbolism which is everywhere in our culture and if you know what it is you'll see it everywhere but the one eye symbolism celebrities politicians who are photographed and they put a hand over their eye and or they cover up one of their eyes or you only see one of their eyes it's a An act of, whether they know it or not, whoever's orchestrating the picture knows what they're doing. It's an occult marker that this is done for the coming beast who is symbolized with the one eye. It appears to us that the beast's death was some type of head wound. The cause of death was a head wound. Now, that would rule out a lot of the names on that list. We know how Pharaoh died. It wasn't a head wound. How did Pharaoh die? He drowned. His body is at the bottom of the Red Sea. Let's think about the current state of the Antichrist. 1 John 1-4 says that his spirit is already active in the world Today. Again, Revelation 17 tells us that he will ascend out of the bottomless pit. Now, that is a strong indication that in some way the Antichrist is tied to the Nephilim of Genesis chapter 6. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, it's not the water that saves you. It's not the washing of water in baptism that saves you, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, who are those spirits in prison? There have been books written about that. There have been many arguments. But, but if you want to know what Peter means, ask Peter. If you want to know, if, if, if Peter says something that confuses you, the first place you should look is, what else has Peter said? Has Peter explained himself? So go with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm sure this came up in conversation, so Peter addresses it in his second epistle. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, he talks about their judgment, but then in verse 4 he says, If God spare not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to... The English says hell. The Greek is Tartarus. Tartarus is the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit. What happened to the angels that sinned in the days of Noah? They were sent to the bottomless pit and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. What does that mean? They're chained those those angels who sinned with women, Genesis chapter six, the sons of God who saw the daughters of Adam that they were fair and they took wives of any they wanted. Every culture in the world, every culture in the world has that story as part of their history. The Bible has the correct version. The Bible has the infallible version. The sons of God, some of them saw the daughters of Adam, they took wives of them, and Peter says, by the way, Jude says the same. we're not going to take the time to go to Jude, but Jude says the same thing, Jude 6 and 7. They created, Genesis 6, the Nephilim, men of renown, this unholy union. God judged them and he chained them, but he didn't chain them forever. He chained them and reserved them until judgment. Revelation 9 tells us, go with me to Revelation 9. I know we're jumping around a little bit tonight. Can, it cannot be helped. We're, we're going clue hunting, so you, you got to get your, your uh, inspector glasses out and Maybe you're not an Inspector Clouseau fan. Maybe you're an Inspector Gadget fan. And that thing pops right out of your your hand. But Revelation 9 talks about these angels and about what's going to happen in the tribulation as part of God's judgment. And the fifth angel sounded, verse 1, I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose. Who's in the bottomless pit? The fallen angels who sinned. And he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of that pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power and commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Jump down to verse 11. Isn't it interesting? Nine eleven. 9 11 they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, or Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. We'll come back to that in a moment. The point is that there seems to be an indication that the Antichrist is in some way tied to the Nephilim, he has a connection to the bottomless pit. Who is it that is going to rise out of the bottomless pit? Revelation 17. Well, the king over them is called Apollyon. Is this not the same one who will rise in Revelation 17? Ponder that. Pray about that. Pray through that. How about the timing of his resurrection? Go with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. How will the beast rise again? Well, let's look at what happens with his resurrection. Jesus is talking about the end of time in Matthew 24. This is the Olivet Discourse. He is giving a prophecy on the very place he is going to return in the second coming. He goes to ground zero of the second coming, and he gives us this prophecy. And let me pick it up here in verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the house help not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe to them are, that are with child and unto them that give suck in those days. Pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation. He's talking about something that's going to happen in the middle of this final seven years. The last three and a half years of the tribulation, Jesus calls the great tribulation because it will be then in the middle point when the Antichrist will break his covenant as prophesied in Daniel he will declare himself God as prophesied in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He will set up the abomination of desolation prophesied by Daniel and Jesus. And then everything is going to change. It's going to go from worse to the worstest. Is that a word? Probably not. We'll make it a word for today. Except those days be short and there should be no flesh saved. Now notice verse 23. If any man say unto you, lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. By the way, the elect here, the church is not born yet. The church is is not on the scene. God has not created the church yet. The elect in Isaiah, the elect in the old covenant, is the nation of Israel. They are the chosen people. He's not talking about the church or he's talking about Israel. The elect are Israel. If possible, they shall deceive the very nation of Israel. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say Now notice, listen, pay very close attention. If they say unto you, behold, he, Christ, is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. What are they looking for in the desert? What are they looking for in the secret chambers? Jump down to verse 28. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now, unfortunately, this verse is often tied to the the, the Battle of Armageddon. In fact, many of you may have a translation that says vultures. That is not the word in the Greek. Don't try to fix Jesus' words. Jesus uses the word eagles. Why is that significant? Because it's, a word that's only found in this teaching, in Matthew 24 and Luke 17, the only other book in the Bible it's found is in Revelation. It's found three times in the book of Revelation. And every time that the word eagle is used in the book of Revelation, it appears to be, with one possible exception, it appears to be in connection to angels. Jesus is not talking. Remember we talked in prophecy that birds often are symbolic of spiritual beings. Eagles here are symbolic if we go to the book of Revelation again, just looking at where the Bible uses this word. The only other place the Bible talks about eagles in the New Testament is in the book of Revelation in reference to angels. Where the angels are gathering, there you will find not bodies, plural, but the carcass. What are they looking for in the desert? What are they looking for in these secret chambers? They're looking for the tomb where they can find the carcass for the one who was not, or was, excuse me. Let me start that over. They're looking for the tomb where they can find the carcass for the one who was and is not, but who will rise again. This is a specific Body. This is not the bodies plural of the Battle of Armageddon. Revelation 4:7, 8, 13. All in reference to eagles, and likely 12:14 also e- angels uh, are involved in those passages. Here's the second question I want to ask. Do any of the prophecies about the second coming mention any of these five names we looked at, seven names we looked at? Do any of the prophecies about the second coming of Jesus Christ refer to Antiochus, Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, Nero, Nimrod, Pharaoh, or Titus? If we find one, I think that's a pretty good argument for saying this is the one who was and is not and will come again. So go with me to Matthew cha- or excuse me, Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible because we read it every Christmas. But we only read the beginning of it. I'm going to keep reading. Because Micah 5 is not just talking about the first coming of Jesus, it's also talking about the second coming of Jesus. And I want you to see what Micah 5 says. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops, He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Messiah is coming. The eternal God is going to be born in Bethlehem. And you know how he's going to be received? They're going to strike him on the cheek. And he's going to give him up until the birth. We've talked about this before. I hope this is, I know this is still kind of new to some of you. It's still kind of fresh. Isaiah 66 says, God's going to give birth to the nation of Israel in one day. And then, unlike other births, the birth pangs will follow the birth. The birth pangs will follow the birth. He's going to give them up until the birth. He's going to give them up until Israel is brought back into the land. Uh, Israel's been back in the land for a few decades now. We're, we're rolling up on 100 years. The time is short. We are at the end of the end, guys. We are. I, I'm not date-setting. I'm not telling you Jesus is coming back today. I'm not telling you he's coming back in five years. I don't know exactly when, but I know we are in the very last days, because the apostle said two thousand years ago, "These are the last days," and we're two thousand years into the last days. So do the math. I mean, we're we're heading in to the very very end of our time here before the rapture. You want me to keep reading? Let's keep reading. And he shall stand, who? Messiah. And feed in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace. Jesus is coming again, guys, and when he comes again, he's going to be the peace. What's going to precipitate that, Micah? When the Assyrians shall come into our land. And we, he shall tread in our palaces, then we shall raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men, and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. There's only three passages in the Bible where Nimrod is named as Nimrod. Now, Lord willing, next week I'm gonna, we're going to go a little deeper into this idea of Nimrod. I'm going to try to make my case a little stronger for why I believe Nimrod is the Antichrist. Again, you don't have to agree with me. There's, there is uh, power in the prophecies that we're reading, whether you agree with the interpretation or not. But only three times, Genesis... First Chronicles chapter 1 and here is Nimrod called by this title Nimrod but I'm going to try to show you next week that he is known and has been known throughout history by many names because what happened at the tower of babel one language became 70 and scattered and from there we had multiplications of languages So what did the Egyptians call Nimrod? What did the Canaanites call Nimrod? What did the peoples of the earth who scattered call Nimrod? Not Nimrod. Isn't it interesting though that this is called the land of Nimrod? Now, this may seem like a new theory to you, but this name Assyrian, we're going to close with this tonight. We'll pick it up here next week. The word Assyrian here in Micah chapter five is—it's an interesting Hebrew word. It can be interpreted either as Assyrian or as Assir. Assir is a name. Assir is the name of the founder of the Assyrians. Who founded the Assyrians? Anybody know? Anybody want to guess? Genesis chapter ten—that's your homework. Go look. Who founded Assyria? Who is Asir? I would suggest to you Nimrod has been known by many names throughout the Bible. I believe the Greeks know him as Apollo. King of the bottomless pit. Apollyon is one of his names. Apollo has many names. He's a god of many names. If you do your study in Greek culture and Greek history and and Greek mythology, you'll find Apollo has many names. Apollyon is one of them, the destroyer. The Lord of the dead. Is Nimrod Apollyon? Well, whoever Apollyon is, Apollyon is the king of the bottomless pit. The pit will open. And the king will rise. But there's a king of Kings coming after that. There's a king of kings coming after the king, after the prince who is to come, Daniel chapter nine, there is another prince who is returning. And he is going to crush. Whoever this Antichrist is, whether you believe he really was dead and will rise again, or you think he's somebody who's going to come on the future and and you don't you're not sure what i'm talking about but let me just say this before we close this is not a new theory micah chapter 5 the assyrian asir when asir comes do you know the oldest complete commentary on the book of revelation was written back in the fourth century by a man named bishop victorinus And the Roman Catholic Church had edited the commentary for many years, but now we have have an original that we can look at, and we can see where the Roman Catholic Church came in and tried to edit it and and redact things, right? But in the commentary that Victorinus, which you can find online, I I, I have a copy somewhere. I'm not sure what I did with it. I have a PDF of it somewhere uh, on one of my flash drives. In the commentary... Victorinus says, Asir is the Antichrist, referring back to this passage. Asir is the Antichrist. That's who, is, that's who the prophecies are talking about. So what I'm sharing with you tonight might be new to you, but it's not new to the church. It's been, it's been believed by many people for a long time. Again, in, this, in the second century, people believed Nero was the Antichrist. He could be. We don't know for sure. I can't be dogmatic. But here's why I believe the Antichrist, and Nimrod are one of the same. Next week, we'll look a little deeper at it. If you have any questions, you're always free to shoot me an email. But uh, I'm going to ask Andy to come. I know this hasn't been a traditional service, but I do want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so uh, Andy's going to come and uh, play. I'm going to pray, and then uh, just going to ask you to spend a little bit of time in prayer. Maybe you have a need. Our deacons will be here. Maybe uh, you you just never know how the Holy Spirit's going to work, and so we want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so let's pray, and then we'll give you an opportunity if you have a need to respond. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, God, that you are a God who reveals mysteries, as you said through Daniel the prophet when you gave him the revelation. And God, you have given us so much revelation through your prophets, through your servants, through your apostles, even through Jesus Christ himself. In the prophecies that he revealed when he was uh, walking among us. Uh, Father, we don't have a complete understanding, God. Sometimes we bumble our way through your word. But God, we know that you are faithful even when we are faithless. And you do promise to give us wisdom when we sincerely seek it from you. And so, God, may we uh, be encouraged, God, by your prophecies and by your word and by your promises knowing that you are coming again for us. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The Youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our wanna program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.